another contributing factor to it, which I would just describe as I have a trauma belief that I'm exhausting from my own experience, that this is, well, it exhausts me all the time, so I know it's tiring. So <laughs> I think that anyone who's gonna come on this romantic journey with me is just gonna find it too exhausting and bail. Welcome to The Signal Podcast, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, purpose coach to some of the leading voices in our culture today, from top CEOs to Hollywood stars, best-selling authors to world-class artists. In coaching these incredible humans, one truth has become abundantly clear. No matter who we are, we all carry pain, joy, and the desire to feel connected to a sense of purpose. This podcast is my way of extending some of the powerful lessons of my proven method to you so that hopefully you too can be inspired to heal the white noise of your limiting beliefs and tune into the signal of your intuitive wisdom. Welcome to Signal. Today's session is with Megan. Megan is an activist who left a very successful career as a political commentator in the media to start a nonprofit for people impacted by sexual trauma. A content warning for our listeners today, we do cover sexual assault in today's episode. And in this session, Megan is really looking to identify how they can continue on their path of purpose when it involves such deep trauma, and how they can bring in relationships that feel fulfilling while doing such deep and hard work. Hey, Signal listeners. A couple quick disclaimers before we get started. Maury is not a licensed therapist, and this is not a therapy session. Intuition and purpose coaching with Maury is usually a six-month process, and what you're about to hear is just a snippet of what these sessions sound like. That said, this is a real coaching session with real people featuring real strategies that Maury uses in her method. All right, let's get to today's episode. All right, so Megan, knowing that we have an hour together, what is it that you would love to say at the end of this hour that you walked away with some clarity on? Sure, I feel stuck in um, what I refer to as the bird brain tornado. I've talked to various therapists, friends, colleagues about it. I've been doing bird brain for, this is our eighth year. And it really touches on all areas of my life. You know, it impacts my dating and personal relationships, my family relationships, um, doing work and something that re-traumatizes and triggers you so much as your job um, is difficult. So tell me, when you say bird brain tornado, can you really take me there? What does that mean specifically to sure. you? Sure. So let me just give you like a short summary of how this came to be. Um, I was, um, you know, I was raped on my first date by someone that I went to high school with when I was 16. So I'd never kissed anybody or held hands or anything. It was just zero to a hundred. And that was a largely life shaping event. So I had kind of like a split personality. I was, you know, oh, I'm going to be an overachiever, you know, highly successful person. And when I met Ariana Huffington, I was like, oh, she's so powerful. Like I want to be just like her. So no one can ever hurt me. Um, and then a few years after that, I w- when I moved to New York to really go for that, um, I was raped again um, when I was m- maybe 28 and I had just started to feel better. So um, I just was really caught in an undertow of trauma symptoms that were not properly addressed to therapists and, um, you know, people who were trying to help me. But that industry really and a lot of things, as you've seen in society, don't really talk about this properly. So. I kind of, when I turned 34, so I had accomplished most of my professional goals, maybe not to the max, but I had helped start some major publications. Um, You know, I tried to be a good citizen and, you know, uh, carry out great ideas on TV, although (laughs) it's probably not the best place for public discourse on cable news, but (laughs) it seemed like it when I was young. And I had, you know, I wrote a novel, I had done all these things and all the, all the, what I could have achieved was kind of done and all that was left was just like, well, what are we going to do with this giant pain person, you know, that exists that's undermining you? 
Um, so I started bird brain. Um, I taught myself how to sew, draw, embroider, or make clothes. And my mom helped me a lot with that. Um, and it was honestly, I just, I thought I was going to die if I didn't do it. And so that's not really how most people start an organization that's going to be thriving and successful, you know? So I felt very weird. It's part of why I called it bird brain. Um, cause I felt like I was going crazy and I didn't like how, um, you know, the world gaslights people like me when we're trying to get better. So um, that kind of summarizes how we came to be. And so when I talk about the bird brain tornado, it's largely, I think, from an intuitive point of view, it was set with this intention that was very chaotic and like from a place of pain. Mm. So firstly, just thank you for sharing oh, all yes, of that of course. with me. Yeah. I really very much cherish that you shared something that was obviously so difficult and has shaped what your purpose is today. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Oh, thank you. And I can see that you are using that pain for mm-hmm. good. And that is in itself a triumph. I want to ask you about bird brain as if you're describing another living, breathing entity. Mm-hmm. Because what's striking me is, as with any relationship, your relationship with bird brain requires some healing. Yes, it does. So let's work on the relationship between you and this other living, breathing entity. If you were to describe bird brain to me as a person, Mm. what would you describe them like? Oh, as a person. Hmm. Well, it would probably be, um, you know, oh, there's so many different ways I could slice that. It's hard to think of it as a person. but um, And it's okay if you need to take a deep breath, actually, and let it kind of come to you. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Um, so what characteristics? I think bird brain is, um, and the way that I see it kind of at its best, is a sort of realization of like a sexually healthy person who feels like they are represented in a positive light and not like a, uh, you know, crying stock image in a dark hallway um, that has, you know, a vibrant way of communicating without words and with words. So a good communicator, um, an educator, someone who can help people understand a complex issue, you know, a convener, of people experiencing, you know, art and friendship and really dialing down how um, tense this issue makes a lot of people. Mm, Beautiful. How old is Bird Brain? Oh, are we doing dog years? No. (laughs) (laughs) Human years. How long has Bird Brain been around? It has been around for seven full years, so maybe seven and a half. Yeah. And – if you were going to some event to celebrate Bird Brain's accomplishments, what would be being celebrated? Existing at all is always great to me, and helping even one person, even if it's just myself, is always great. As time has gone on, it um, helped a lot of people in Palm Springs. We've had pop-ups in Manhattan and LA and San Diego. You know, we have a few hundred Instagram followers that are... Um, part of the community. And um, I really loved the kind of small, more intimate experience I had with people after I was kind of doing mass audience stuff for most of my life. So I love that intimacy. You know, we have a clearly defined brand and style that's taken years to evolve. And I love that it has a very childlike uh, arts and crafts vibe to it. Um, I always try to protect that. And we also have this field guide, which is a like a self-guided workbook that really explains the issue to people who, who don't know about it. So um, that's something you can just Google. It's available for free or you can buy a hard copy of it. And that is a wonderful resource that really gets you from A to B and also addresses not just like a crisis period, but a long-term period of how this integrates into your life. Yeah. So a very productive seven and a half years. It sounds yeah. like you produced a lot, you did a lot, you reached a lot of people. A lot is relative to me because I used to speak to millions of people multiple times a week. So there's a bit of a disconnect there with um, 
you know, whether I feel it's actually scaled or not. Yeah. When you had a platform where you were reaching millions of people, were you in charge of the message that you were saying? Um, Somewhat. When I was doing blogging or when Twitter was coming out, that was very different than when I worked for the Chicago Tribune or if I was a communications director for, say, voting rights. Um, you know, those environments are very different. I would also say, though, that I identified as a cisgender straight person, too. So my entire catalog of stuff is really a graveyard of things that I don't necessarily relate to anymore. So you had a structure, a foundation that had been pre-built over decades. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From the mainstream media point of view. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you had a, you know decades old foundation structure that you walked into that you also conformed into. Yes. <laughs> in order to spread a message. Yeah. And because of the legwork that had been done by this decades old series of institutions, the reach mm-hmm. was very large. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds to me Like, as you sat at a crossroads of deciding between reach while conforming, reach while, yes, controlling part of the message, but not all of it. Right. And reach while controlling some of the impact, but not most of it. Correct. When you were between that crossroads and the one that said, we're going to not conform, we're going to own the entire message and we're going to own the impact we create. But that means we have to build the foundation from Mm -hmm. the ground up. Yeah. You chose the second path. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at, I asked you about the age of your baby for a reason. Okay. (laughs) Because if you look at a 65-year-old person, Mm -hmm. And what they were able to accomplish in their life and the network that they built and the reach that they have in terms of their influence. And you compared that to a seven and a half year old. Would that be fair? Absolutely not. (laughs) Okay. So part of the suffering here is in comparison (laughs) between something that you built from the ground up with your doggedness and your passion and your consistency, which is a triumph, that you looked at that seven-year-old and there's a part of you that's like, why can't you be 65 Oh, no, I'm a bad mother. (laughs) (laughs) No? But does that resonate? I listened to that episode from season one. I... Must review. But you, you didn't think it was you, did you? You were like, she's not talking to me. <laughs> no. Um, uh, my cats love me. Really good at them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, I completely resonate with that. Okay, great. So then our work is less about how do I scale and more about accepting the seven-and-a-half-year-old for who the seven-and-a-half-year-old is. Mm-hmm. And what the seven and a half year old has accomplished in its infancy and toddlerhood and adolescence. Yes, that's true. There's a part B to that that's more personal about when I date and how that impacts basically my sexual happiness and um, how I have to sort of incorporate this into my relationship skill set. Um, because the okay. average person is not accustomed to thinking about rape like as the startup, like with a startup mentality. Um, so that is, um, and that's a big reason why I think a lot of people never gain traction on this issue and expanding it sort of beyond the myopic view that people have. Because what you have to do to yourself to stay in a trauma pocket and the way that impacts everyone who's close to you. Um, you know, it just takes a, a lot of energetic boundaries and endurance. Okay. All right. So let's look at how enmeshed your dating life is with your Oh, yeah. Good question. Business? Is that the right word? To, is business the right word? I say organization. Or what, what I just say organization. organization. Okay. It's, a non, it's a 501c3. It's a nonprofit. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Okay. So let's talk about the enmeshment of your organization and your romantic life. What I heard you say is that because my organization came from my personal experiences and trauma, it is a thing that is alive and well and with me constantly. I am not in a position to, like some others may have, put the trauma, quote unquote, behind me and enter into these romantic relationships with that not being a factor. Am I right so far? um, I would say kind of at the forefront, not, it's always a factor, I think for everyone, but it wouldn't be at the forefront as to the extent that like, when you, I've heard you say on the podcast before, like we talk about intuition all the time at my house because you're so passionate about what you're doing. And for me, swap that in. You'd be like, we talk about rape all the time at my house, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. I'm so glad you said that because I'm just about to make a comparison and I wanted to make sure you were comfortable okay. with it. Because this yeah. is something I have had to learn as a coach. So, so far what we have right is that this is a leading factor of your dynamics in romantic relationships because the trauma that you endured is the reason that the organization exists and the organization is currently living and breathing and therefore you cannot decouple those things. Yes. And the That's person is getting all Yeah, yeah. That's a sliding scale. I, I am quite good at separating the organization, but just think about any situation that you have to mention your job in. Oh, we went to a bar with one of his friends. What does your partner do? Oh, well, she runs a nonprofit, you know, and you don't have to get into it and bring that into every conversation, but you also know you're lying. Like, why am I self-censoring this for people? Like, why can't we just state clearly um, what the issue is. So if I know I'm censoring to make someone else comfortable, I'm doing something that you don't like, which is taking away their opportunity to learn and grow. <laughs> Absolutely. And I hear that because yeah. you're living in it and then you, you, you bring that home. I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. In your healing journey, what is your relationship to this trauma? And I'm going to ask it now a different way. Is this trauma who you are? Hmm, That's an interesting question. I don't internalize it that way. I have so, so, so many interests. I'm really into artificial intelligence. I do consulting work in other areas of life. I play tennis. Um, I hike. You know, I have a lot of friends um, and I'm still very active on, you know, I'm uh, on various other political issues behind the scenes. So this is not by any means the only thing about me. I would say on my healing journey... I have never been super caught up with like flashbacks or, um, you know, specific things to the events. I've always found tools to process those. Um, I think what's difficult is when you were someone who worked in mass media your whole life, et cetera, and you can't talk about something and the way people are negatively reacting to you and creating this sort of adjacent trauma, that's what bothers me that we and that is so present in me is this like real anger and rage and I'm not very good at feeling those emotions really but it's in there you know I've got a Darth Vader ATM card like (laughs) it's down there below I notice here that Megan uses the word tornado to describe the experience of how they are walking through life as an owner of this organization, as someone who's looking for romantic partnership, as a friend, as a family member. And it occurs to me that you've heard me talk about people's operating system, which is the way that they view the world, the way that they view the experiences they're in, and it informs their reactions to those experiences. So here you see me point out to Megan that the idea of being in a tornado is their current operating system. And our work is going to be on figuring out if we can calm the tornado down by identifying a new operating system for Megan to work within. I'm understanding why you keep using the word tornado. Yeah. Because there are three or four larger issues that have twisted around one another. And what's happening is it's almost become your operating system. It's become your strategy that they are all entangled because when I reach in to try to detangle one, 
your initial response is, no, let me give you the other three. Yeah. They all coexist together and it's very difficult to get out of it. And what if I were to tell you they don't have to coexist together? That's what happens on good weeks for me when I can kind of separate them out. And that's what happens when we make progress. Um, but it's a, it's a very like sort of roller coaster kind of experience. Absolutely. Because there is a fear voice in there that's protecting you from something that is telling you if you heal one, something dot, 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 something bad will happen or the other shoe will drop. It's almost like there's a punishing, if you heal one of these four strings, if we deal with one of the four, something bad will happen. Is that true? I think there is definitely a thread that if I go all out with bird brain, it will become very difficult for me to have a romantic relationship. There Um, we go. Thank you. That's the limiting belief system right there. Is that thought... Mm-hmm. Unequivocally true. Can you prove that to me with evidence? Oh, absolutely not. And you know, I can I can see a lot of that as well, but it's always there. So yeah. Okay. So it's a fear voice. Mm-hmm. Now we recognize that it is fear. And there's another contributing factor to it, which I would just describe as I have a trauma belief that I'm exhausting from my own experience, that this is, well, it exhausts me all the time, so I know it's tiring. So (laughs) I think that, you know, um, anyone who's going to come on this romantic journey with me is just going to find it too exhausting and bail. So that's kind of the counterpart to the the dress we just put down. Understood. Understood. And that is because part of you feels that in order to show up authentically for who you are, to be honest about the trauma that has shaped you, Mm -hmm. you need to fully own it because you weren't able to do that in past roles. And now this is your organization. You've built a life where you can own it, which means you need to fully own it. Is that fair? Totally. Okay. And you are a person who enjoys hiking and politics (laughs) and AI and has fascinating views on a lot of other things. And so is it possible that we could explore and you could explore, what do you really want out of a romantic relationship? Is it a co-activist? That's such a good question. Is it? We're writing that down. Is that what you want? (laughs) I don't know. I think I got to a place where I really didn't believe in viability around this area of life for so long that I don't really... Um, I don't really think about, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, specifically or what have you. Yeah. So we don't even know what canvas we're painting. We don't even (laughs) understand what we're trying to create. We don't even know what we're reaching for. And so when something is as open-ended as that, Mm -hmm. then it creates room for chaos, Mm -hmm. right? Because the clarity begins with you. Yeah. And you are a highly dynamic person that is far greater than the trauma that happened to you. You have so many other facets who deserve the light of day as well, just like your Mm -hmm. trauma does. Your trauma does not deserve to sit in shame. But these other aspects of you also don't deserve to sit behind the scenes constantly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So letting these other facets come up on stage and kind of explore and stretch their arms out and and give them the spotlight to discuss whatever, nature, politics, AI, that is about you truly representing authentically who you are. So while you are dogged in being authentic, you're actually not being totally authentic. That's so true, yeah. So the work is less about how do I make sure people understand what I stand for and my organization and that that is what my romantic life allows for. The work is more how do I show up fully like the multifaceted gemstone that I am? Mm-hmm. And which of those facets do I want a relationship attached to? 
Sure. Yeah. I have a lot of screaming feelings about how inherently difficult that is for like a a gender non-conforming person and like a sexually fluid person like yeah it's just um I, I part of the biggest part of what I struggle with is just whether I feel like I can be myself if I'm like integrating into the straight world or if I'm integrating into the queer world because I just want to live in a sexually healthy world and envision that for people so um yeah I mean that's kind of where the tornado starts turning again but yeah my immediate response to what you were saying was very much like ah like a fluid gender non-confirming person has nowhere to even fit so I don't even know how to do that (laughs) perfect perfect I'm glad you said that because I have a question for that part of you yeah how attached are you to labels I don't love them but as uh like former sophisticated mass communicator, I understand that it will come down to that at some point if I choose to scale and if I don't even want to engage in that. You know, that is a very complex marketing problem. In my personal life, I would be very happy to engage with people sort of at my leisure. But um, at some point from a business point of view, I would have to decide. Yes. And you are skipping a step. Yeah. (laughs) Because until you begin to engage with yourself Mm -hmm. as a soul. Yeah. To soul, no other labels, and you begin to know yourself as that soul, mm-hmm. and then you begin to align in truth with that soul and walk the walk of that truly aligned click soul who understands themselves and their truth. The labels are, labels are for external eyes to be able to identify something. Mm -hmm. If we are skipping the step of who am I really without all of this? Who am I? What do I want to feel? What makes me happy? What makes me excited anymore? What makes me hopeful? If we can't engage with you as a soul, Mm -hmm. and really wrap our heads and our arms around that, and we jump to the labels, then you are creating a frenetic experience where you're living for other people's understanding of you. Okay, now I'm going to jump in this container so you get me. Cool. Now I'm going to jump in this container so you understand me, and I'm coming out of that one, and I'm going to go into this one so you understand me. But the problem is you don't understand you. I feel like myself in like the little bird brain space that I designed and made. And it, it that is the one place where I get to be myself. And I have, I have maybe three or four friends that I feel comfortable being myself with. Yeah. Beautiful. So yeah. let's talk about that. Okay. What is going on in that space that makes you feel like yourself? And try to tell it to me in the most simplistic, like you're talking to a third grader way. Oh, okay. It is delightful. It has happy, colorful energy. And everyone can come there. Okay. And when you think about these three or four friends that you can be yourself around, what is it about them that makes you feel that way? Well, most of them are queer. Um, okay. There's one of, of the four people, one of them is not, but um, is very well studied in our issues and whatnot, and so is informed. So we're across that hurdle already. Yeah, we we have some shared interests, but um, I the um, apart from the straight one, I met all of them after I quit politics and moved to the desert. So I didn't feel like I had a relationship with them where we were like trying to you know calculate our ascension to American political greatness together. So there was a trust there that goes beyond that. What's the relationship based? You know, my very best friend and I are do have very deep socio-political conversations because um, I care about that at the core. And then, uh, you know, another friend and I, we just love doing art activities and uh, just like doing cultural things and is a dancer. And so we do stuff like that. So it's about creation. Sure. And, um, you know, my other friend is very spiritual um, and interested in energy and a lot of the stuff that you're working with. So it's easy to, um, you know, incorporate those kinds of conversations with her as well. Okay. So when you are in bird brain Mm -hmm. or you are with these friends, how do you feel? 
I'm much more relaxed and I that's usually when I make my best stuff. Like, so for example, when I wrote our self-help resource, the field guide workbook, um, I isolated my world to basically just those people and my mom. Stopped, I turned off my phone and I would email them every day at like 5 p.m. that I was writing this so they would know it was still, you know, uh, alive and eating Cheez-Its or whatever I was doing um, to kind of comfort myself through doing that. And, um, you know, I block out all the people that make me confused about who I'm speaking to. And so that's great um, for a work point of view. Um, And just from a personal point of view, it makes me happy to just know I can, um, that they've taken the time to get to understand the tornado and I can mention anything (laughs) that's happening in it and they'll get it. And it doesn't have to be this huge ordeal of, you know, explaining it. So do this for me. Mm -hmm. I want you to take a really deep breath and close your eyes and take us into bird brain where you're creating. Okay. Just visualize yourself sitting there making something. Okay. Besides relaxed, how else do you feel? Um, I think there's a whimsical quality to it that is you know, just the way it's fun to color something or my, the activity that came to me was that I really wanted to make these fanny packs. (laughs) So thinking about my fanny packs and just making clothes, which I love. So yeah. Okay. So you're, it's fun. You're feeling whimsical. You're feeling relaxed, really like, like drop into yourself as you're making these fanny packs. How else do you feel? How does your body feel? I definitely feel on purpose. Uh, you know, like we're in the sec- sector of things where something is being created instead of reacted to. You know, in that space where we're not interacting with any potential supporters or we're not having to communicate with words, we're really just um, modeling and being the kind of, you know, sexually healthy uh, person and community that I see in my mind. Okay, beautiful. I keep asking Megan here to tell me what they feel like when they're doing the things that they love, like creating, using their hands to make things. And what I notice is something I notice with people who are highly intellectual, which is that often our intellect works to protect us from feeling because feeling can be foreign It can feel too vulnerable. It can feel dangerous depending on our past trauma and our experiences. And so pay attention to what I pick up here, which is how intellect continues to pop up to protect Megan from accessing feeling. Take a deep breath and open your eyes for me. Okay, yeah, go. (laughs) Maury, you ruined my mascara, Uh, which I don't really wear anymore, and I don't think I put it on very well. (laughs) You look great. Okay, thank you. I'm going to tell you something that I notice with a a lot of my clients, which is that when you're really intellectual, Mm -hmm. asking about feelings is really hard. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. So your work, my work for you is that when you're doing this work of being on purpose and being in bird brain, doing the thing you love. My work for you is checking with yourself, what do I feel right now? Not, don't intellectualize it. Don't think about the impact of what you're doing. Don't think about the output. You know, with highly driven intellectual people like yourself, you are trained to believe that your value is attached to your output. We need to remove that training so that you understand that your value is attached to being, just existing. And so this work that you, I think, very rightfully believed was about how do I scale bird brain and how do I find a romantic relationship that feels good Mm -hmm. is actually how do I get to know my soul? (laughs) Okay as boundless, as labelless, Because the more that you can recognize the qualities of your soul, the more you can embody those qualities. 
And then you can just take a deep breath and be those things. If other people need to label them so that their brains can process what they're looking at, that is not your work. That is not your problem. From my understanding, and I identify as a cis female, from my understanding of it, though, in this work is ultimately the idea of being non-binary, of being queer, is just about finding a person, regardless of their gender, that feels in alignment. Am I right? Yes. Interpersonally, yes. (laughs) Okay. Interpersonally which is what we're talking about right now. I mean, I know you worked at a big crisis communications firm, so you understand like how fast my brain calculates like how you communicate in media. So, um it's, that's do. a really but hard thing to that, shut off. Yeah. That is the the voice that we need to just give a break to. Mm-hmm. We need to tell that aspect of you we're not in a media environment right now. We are working on my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my life is not a platform. My life is not an organization. My life is this textured, multidimensional, really huge soul that has a lot to it. And right now, what we are working on is understanding the dimensions of this, the magnitude of this soul. What I am picking up from you is your gallant effort to attempt to do that came by putting yourself in all of these boxes. You Mm -hmm. kept not wanting to conform and then you kept creating other boxes for yourself to fit into. Mm -hmm. And the suffering is coming from not fully being able to fit into any of them. Right. Because they're all too small. And so your mantra really that I want you to try and work into your psyche is these labels are for other people to get comfortable. They are not required for my success or my happiness. I am working on understanding who I am without any of those buckets, any of those labels. And this is what I will promise you, that as you do that work, This grip your fear has on these four issues being entangled loosens. And then we can begin to pull apart. Okay, now let's look at the organization. What do we really want it? When we say scale, what does that really mean? What do we genuinely want that is realistic for something we built from the ground up, not walking into an infrastructure that had decades and millions of dollars to do what it's done, (laughs) right? We can pull that apart. Then we can look at the romantic strand. What do we want to feel like in this relationship? What are we looking for? Are we looking for an activist or are we looking for a lover, a partner, a friend who likes to go hiking and who laughs at our jokes and who likes adventures? Yes, of course, they need to have a baseline of freaking understanding about these issues. They cannot be. I, I'm with you. I am with you. That's on harder that. than you'd think in Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I feel you, but you know what? It's not impossible. Right. Yeah. It's not impossible. You know why? Because you exist. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So these strands can only come untangled, which they must, so you can deal with each of them. If your fear can let go of the need that they be all together. And the only way your fear will do do that is if you begin to show it all of the things that you are. If you begin to really embrace what it feels like when you're in alignment with your soul. It feels whimsical. It feels purposeful. It feels relaxed. That's your barometer. So that you get to say, you know, if I don't feel like that, it's a hell no. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You definitely. don't have to take on anything. You get to decide. And the way I'd like you to do that is through this aligned action of what does my soul need to feel mm-hmm. alive? How is that resonating? 
who resonates with me a lot. I achieve that sometimes. And in the last year or so, you know, seeing so many more people saying they're non-binary has felt like a moment for me that's like, oh yeah, we, you know, there's some cover here for me to like go out there and just exist and talk about this difficult subject. So I think that's one reason why I'm feeling more momentum that just um, I don't feel a need to do this on a particular timeline. Like I want those alignments to kind of come come together. So yeah, I think that resonates with me um, pretty well. And how do you feel about my saying that your job right now is just to understand your truth and speak your truth? And whether that is about your activism or about your love of hiking. <laughs> yeah, I you um, have to allow your truth to come through and be externally verbalized. Yes, for sure. I definitely am finding things like that with my hiking and my tennis club that I'm in, you know, with any number of friends that I have, or I'm taking classes on ethics and artificial intelligence and machine learning right now, which is very stimulating. So I've got those kinds of things going on and I love that. Um, and I have been planning to start a bird brain podcast because October is going to be the um, five year anniversary of me too. So that's good news bag. And, um, you know, I often keep us in this pocket that feels non-threatening to people. I remember when I was listening to season one last time, I um, had also been reading a book about the fawn response in trauma, which doesn't get as much attention. And it clicked for me between what you were saying and what I'd read in the book that bird brain is almost entirely a fawn response that, you know, I was just trying to make everyone else more comfortable with this subject, you know, and I was like, oh, well, I don't really want to come at it for, like that. Um, and so I do try to keep it from this like, oh, I made this beautiful world where the t-shirt like feel like we can be different. But I don't get into the sort of, you know, power and structural uh, social dynamics that I want to talk about. So I, I'm interested in finally articulating that and um, looking at the podcast to do that. And, um, you know, so I think between those two opportunities, that's kind of where I'm hoping to just express my soul's, um, you know, true thoughts from the place that you described. Yeah. And I know it feels like I'm saying this over and over again. I am excited for you to do that work because I think it's going to create maximum impact and, and, and. I want for you so badly to explore and allow the other facets of you to take up as much space as this really brilliant, beautiful activist who is very purposeful. Because there are moments you can set them down and mm -hmm. let them just rest. Yeah. There are moments where you can put that aspect just down for a moment and allow these other aspects to run the show for a little while. And what will happen is the exhaustion this aspect is feeling will start to dissipate. Yeah. But when this aspect, this activist part of you, is everything all the time, that's a lot of pressure. It is. And that kind of activism is hard to measure impact-wise. Um, you know, you look at this with almost any issue and um, something as big and massive as, you know, widespread sexual trauma, that's barely at the point of the scale of it being recognized, yet alone advanced thoughts about it. You know, you want to plan a movement and people will say, well, what's your theory of change? Well, you probably won't even live to see that out. You know, you have to think about what kinds of things you can manage with other people to get the ball rolling and pass off to someone else. So I try to keep that in perspective. But you had previously said, like, what can we actually achieve with this? And I think that's a really exciting next question. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I feel like we covered a lot really, really fast. I want to know yeah. when you scan <laughs> yourself, is there anything that's still like dangling for you where you're like, ooh, this feels in this thread that we, you know, went down is a loose Yeah, I, I think there's also a fear that I might not be relevant as a professional anymore. And um, just to simply break that down, it's, um, you know, I was always kind of on the cutting edge of things that were happening in media and politics for a lot of my life. And I'm not paying attention to those as closely now. And, um, you know, those environments have changed a lot, and I'm doing different things. And now I'm 41, you know, I don't want to get a TikTok. I just, I don't want to, I'm not a good dancer. <laughs> you know, I'm just um, 
uh, coming from a different point of view, even than when I started this organization as someone who related more to youth culture, having been like a 34 year old at the time and now being in a different phase of life and stuff. And I think I often got frustrated thinking like, well, you know, there are a lot of people in New York and DC who were like, oh, Megan dropped off the earth and went and went crazy. The website says we're not crazy, by the way, that's it. We're not crazy.org. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say to them. Um, yeah. But um, the people who stuck with me and are really interested in this and seeing how it plays out, um, you know, I still have a lot of contacts through that and such. But yeah, like um, unearthing a lot of these things in this vision was just kind of isolating. And a lot of the people I knew before, I wasn't out as a queer person to them. So it is kind of like visiting a graveyard of my old articles and old connections and that kind of stuff. So that's intimidating. Yeah, of course. And listen, relevance is relative. Because when you tell <laughs> Ooh, me good. that this is about impact, then I want you to think about who are you trying to impact? Are you trying to impact the people who would be attracted to a TikTok dance? <laughs> That's Maybe. such a good question. <laughs> so yeah, question sure. For you is who am I trying to create impact for? And by the way, many of us are aging. Yeah. So if your voice <laughs> I think we is, all are, maybe. <laughs> right. Right. So if your voice is more relevant to people in their late 30s and 40s, do they not matter? Do they not need representation? Do they not need you to be honest about what you will and won't do? I mean, I w- refuse. My husband wants me to get a TikTok so badly. And I'm like, I can't do it until I fully understand how I can be myself on that platform and I don't understand it yet, right? So there's nothing worse than just doing things for relevance because people can feel that. And that is the opposite of impact. And so what I'd love for you to ask yourself when that troll comes up around, are you relevant, is like relevant in service of what? What are we trying to accomplish with that relevance? And relevant to who? I think the answer is that it used to be when I felt more connected to things, it was a lot easier to create opportunities for funding and other things that were, um, you know, tangible operational situations. And that doesn't feel as as um, prevalent as it was like back then. But yeah, I, I don't really want to be aligned with people who aren't kind of getting this new direction. So that's definitely... You are building it from the ground up, which means it has the potential to become plugged back in and well-connected. But the fact that you took a pause to do it in an aligned, authentic, honest way to understand yourself and make sure that you are stepping forward as yourself means that it's going to take some time for it, this baby of yours and for you yourself to re-enter the world in truthful, in total alignment with your truth Mm -hmm. and then begin to get connected. Yeah. That's what I, the scarcity model that we all have about it's either authentic or it's well-connected. It's either, you know, it's new and it's got to be perfect. No, no, no. It can be as well-connected. You can go back to the relationships you had. What I want you to give yourself credit for is you're working on yourself so that when you do that, it is 1,000% in alignment with who you really are. And that is taking some time because we have not been raised in a society that allows us to explore that. Oh, no. You are retraining yourself not to conform. And you are going to do that in your own way and because of the skills and the capacity you had before for success, you will reconnect those two dots just at a higher frequency. Yeah. That's the And that takes time. (laughs) That's what you have to believe because if you don't believe it, then it's not true. Yes. Okay. So think about your original intention. Just think about the conversation we had. Just take a deep breath and tell me what are you leaving with? What resonates with you most from what we talked about? I think it was when you said that, um, you know, other people will do the work of getting comfortable with whatever labels they need to have for me is definitely helpful. Like when I give a speech about bird brain, um, I often just try to think of myself as an equation and I'm kind of showing up and offering the audience an algorithm that they're going to input into whatever their personal story is. And when they all come up to talk to me after, like, I don't um, 
like really take on their energy or what have you, you know, and that really resonates with me. And just that's a feeling and experience that I have and know how to manage and kind of thinking about that more broadly and applying to more situations. Good. And what's a strategy we developed in our time together that you think you're going to use as you heal some of this? I think I do a good job of trying to be out in nature and that's where I connect with my higher self the most. Um, that being is like a very fierce like <laughs> individual with like a big, um, you know, a big energy. So, um, you know, you kind of have to be outdoors for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I definitely think I would benefit from just more hikes and like, but at building in time to sit there and maybe journal out, you know, whatever downloads are coming through to me. Um, and not just kind of, um, you know, having that experience and getting on with my day. Good. And as you're doing stuff like that, just checking in with yourself, how do I feel right mm-hmm. now? Because that is the language of your soul. Feelings language of the soul. We're writing that down. While we accomplished what felt to me like a great deal in this one hour session, you know, I think it's important that we all remember, and I have to remind myself this because I'm such a perfectionist, that this is just an hour. And this is a long ongoing process. And and particularly what you heard with Megan today is that there are multiple very real issues and storylines that continue to entangle themselves with one another and create this tornado that Megan described. And that is going to take some time and some work for Megan to detangle and to heal one by one by one. And what I tried to do today with Megan was just offer a new framework where they can begin to see themselves outside of this one very strong aspect of being an activist. That aspect is so important. It's so purposeful. It turns pain and trauma into purpose, and it is going to change so many people's lives. And yet, for Megan to thrive and for Megan to feel fulfilled, the work is really going to be on them identifying all the other aspects of who they are, who they were before the trauma, what they love, what lights them up, what makes their soul feel alive, and to become aligned with those aspects as well so that they can really live in the fullness of their truth. And not only is that going to help their organization and their romantic life, but it's going to help Megan to feel a sense of calm rather than feel so tossed around in this tornado. Thanks for listening to Signal. This podcast is hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and produced by myself, Anais Aslami, and the talented team at Terra Firma, Casey Helmick and Lauren Hall. Please join us again next week for another great episode of Signal. Signal.